Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, in 1990, the British Royal National Theater voted it the most significant English play of the 20th century. It was Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. The irony, of course, is it was Beckett's translation into English of his French original. The English version is subtitled A Tragic Comedy, which lends confusion that surrounds the play. In the play, two main characters, Vladimir and Estrogen, are waiting for Godot, who never arrives. That Godot is actually God, Beckett denies in saying it's only implied in the text, but critics contend that it is much more than just implied. And while we recoil from such impious portrayals of life and its meaning, we too often end up asking the same impious question. What are you waiting for? God. And we do address the question to God. At times, God seems so distant, so unconcerned, so unconnected to our daily grind. In our text this morning from Mark chapter 13, Jesus boldly announces that he would return. He would return after the sun and the moon grew dark, after the stars fall from heaven and the very powers of heaven are shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. We clearly recognize in that text the the end of the age, Jesus' second coming, the scene that's foreshadowed in both our readings from Daniel and the book of Revelation. This is every Christian's great hope and expectation. But we wait and wait, and we wait some more. Concerning that day, call it D-Day, and that hour, call it H-Hour, no one knows. Not the angels, not the Son, only the Father. And not only will it come on the Father's H-Hour, but it seems it will come by his own hands, because only the Creator has authority described to shake the very powers of heaven, the stars that he set in place on the fourth day of creation will fall, and the lights that he ordained will grow dim. Nothing is more certain. We have Jesus' word on it. But why the delay? What are you waiting for, God? We cry out in our pain in this age. We call last week's gospel lesson of Mark 13, 9. Jesus told the disciples, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And then in the intervening verses between last week's lesson and this week's, he describes such a tribulation has not been from the beginning of creation. And unless the Lord the Father had not cut short the days, no human being would survive. It's a frightening, wrenching image of the run-up to D-Day and H-Hour. But the trials and pain of the closing of the age are not just cultural, not just councils and governors and kings. It's also greater and it's smaller. It's cosmological and it's personal and private, an intensification of the fallenness of creation. Kara Tippetts went home to Jesus on March 22, 2015. Hers was a long and ultimately losing battle with breast cancer. 
And as the cancer spread, Kara courageously embraced her situation. She trusted in a sovereign God. She believed that cancer was not the point. Jesus was. And she invited her family, her community, to join her journey through the ordeal. Near the end of her life, Kara wrote these words. My little body has grown tired of the battle. The treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has still given me breath, and with it I pray I would live well and fade well. By degrees, doing both, living and dying. As I have moments left to live, I get to draw my people close, kiss them, and tenderly speak love over their lives. I get to pray into eternity my hopes and fears for the moments of my loves. I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey, but I have Jesus, and he will provide. Close quote. Awfully courageous testimony. Not something that we can at all times and in all circumstances emulate as we wait. Waiting, we grow impatient, even skeptical. It's two millennia and counting since Jesus spoke the words of our text. Did he mean something different? Should we be talking about a figurative return in the lives and hearts of believers? Or is the second coming symbolic and not physical? Has our faith become futile like the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel, dancing and prancing, but no fire from heaven? Well, regular attention to the word and worship will combat our skepticism. But there's an even greater danger. We stop asking the question, what are you waiting for? And we grow complacent. <coughs> Endless waiting can do that. We get distracted from watching the heavens for our Lord's return, and we start watching the world around us, the busyness and endless pursuits of this age. We get caught up in a false sense of urgency. We start drifting off, spiritually speaking, drifting off and in danger of falling asleep. And then, just as our heads seem to hit the pillow, God turns the tables on us, and he asks the question, what are you waiting for? What part of stay awake don't you understand? Being alert describes the life of a pilgrim. We're travelers in a strange land. We walk in danger all the way, as the hymn writer puts it. Travelers need to be aware of their surroundings all the time, attuned to the people and activities all around them, listening and watching for danger and for the joys of travel. We know the destination. Our destination is the presence of the Ascended Savior. And even though we don't know it, there is a date certain for our arrival. It may be before Christ appears, as Kara experienced in her fight with cancer. Let us stay alert to the end, if that is the case. But there is a Y year, and a D day, and an H hour, and an N minute. And then we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Stay awake. What are you waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus and his kingdom. Every day is one more step on the road to heaven. He has given us directions. He's given us his word. We have the written law and the lived out love of God in his son. 
So stay awake. Sleep is the ultimate failure. In the garden, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he asked them to pray with him. But first he said what? Stay awake. It's the very same word. The very same command is in our text. It's just one chapter later in chapter 14. And in both cases, it's three times. Twice is the imperative, the command, stay awake, and once is the indicative, stay awake. Of course, we know the story. And again he came and found them sleeping. For the eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. You and I live in a Gethsemane of our own the cares of this world, the temptations of this age, the tedium of time, of waiting and waiting and waiting. Our spiritual eyes get heavy. The day is long. The danger is unseen. And the enemy is persistent. Who are the real watchers? Not us. The Father never sleeps. He heard that prayer of his son. He knew the pain of that cup. It was the cup of his wrath, after all. But with his eyes on the sleeping his disciples, with his eyes on us, you and I, the answer was no. He would not remove the cup because the cup was the only way to love us sinners. And the father watched as the son gave up his life for you and I. I've often reflected on the darkness of that day, what, from the sixth to the ninth hour. Was it a physical expression of the father's pain? The pain of his abandonment of his son, it's even impious to ask the question and to assign such an emotion to God. But he could not save the son without losing the children, you and I, rank sinners whom he loved to the point of giving up the son. And with Jesus' dying breath, the curtain is rent in two from top to bottom, making for us a way to the Father. No more waiting outside the veil. And then, on the third day, the Son of Man appeared victorious, victorious over sin and death and our drowsiness. You are redeemed. No more waiting outside the courts, worried about our sin and our shame. Philip Yancey captures the spirit of waiting really well, I think, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He writes in part, The other two days have earned names on the church calendar. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Yet in a real sense, we live on Saturday, the day without a name. When the, what the disciples experienced on a small scale, three days in grief over one man who had died on the cross, we now live on a cosmic scale. Human history grinds on between the time of promise and the time of fulfillment. Can we trust that God can make something holy and beautiful and good out of a world that includes Bosnia and Rwanda and inner city ghettos? It's Saturday on planet Earth. Will Sunday ever come? That dark Golgothan Friday can only be called good because of what happened on Easter Sunday. A day that gives tantalizing clue to the riddle of the universe. Easter opens up a crack in a universe winding down to entropy and decay. Sealing the promise that someday God would enlarge the miracle of Easter to a cosmic scale. It is good to remember that in the cosmic drama, 
we live out our days on Saturday, the in-between day with no name. I know, Yancey writes, a woman whose grandmother lies buried under 150-year-old live oak trees in a cemetery in Episcopalian church in rural Louisiana. In accordance with Grandma's instructions, there is only one word carved on her tombstone. Waiting. What are you waiting for? Our Savior's return. Only God can accomplish that day. H hour came 2,000 years ago at the cross in the open tomb. M hour and minute came to you when you were baptized. Now you and I are privileged to live in that hour. H hour comes again today in the word preached and the absolution pronounced and received. Once again, your wounds are bound up. We depart strengthened for the road ahead. Yes, it's a Saturday waiting room. But H hour will come in Y year, on D day, at M minute. There's no doubt. We are waiting for God. There is no doubt. This waiting is not in vain. Because it's already fulfilled at Calvary and proclaimed from the open tomb. Fulfilled again this morning in the words of absolution. And it will be fulfilled with Christ coming in the clouds. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes our waiting certain and our future secure. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.